look at your neighbor real quick and say, you smell good today, all right? I mean, it's Christmas, right? You got on your Christmas cologne, got on your Adventist odor. We're glad that you're here today. I want to welcome uh, both of our campuses this morning. If you're worshiping with us at our LaGrange campus, I want to say welcome from the LaGrange 10 Theater in LaGrange, Georgia. We're so glad that you're here with us today. If you're worshiping with us at our Noonan campus today, I want to say thank you for for being here. Let me tell you what I love about being multi-site is that God is doing things here in Coweta County. God is doing things in Troop County. I heard a story last week about families that were helped through our LaGrange campus. And I just want to thank you for your generosity. And I want to celebrate with you guys today the seven families down there that we dedicated to the Lord through our family dedication time. If you have your Bible today, amen. Let's celebrate. Turn to the book of Matthew chapter 2, okay? Now I'm going to warn you, today's kind of a two-by-two message because I'm going to be preaching a little bit from Matthew 2, but I'm going to go back to Luke 2 a little bit, so don't think I'm schizophrenic or anything. I know where I'm going. I've been smelling the, the, uh, the dust of Christmas long enough that I'm starting to kind of feel the spirit a little bit. And as you turn over there real quick, I want to ask you a question this morning, okay? Very, very important question because of all the questions that someone could ask you at Christmas time, this is a very, very important question. What are you bringing this year? You thought about that? What are you bringing this year, right? I mean, that is the question of the season. We are in the midst of Christmas season, and the one question that most of you are thinking is, what am I going to bring this year? Like, I'm going to get invited to a party and someone's going to ask me to, you know, bring something, right? We have covered dishes, right? Someone's going to say, hey, I want you to come to our white elephant party, and you're going to bring something to a white elephant party. Uh, the other day, I was with one of our life groups, and they were having a white elephant party. And so I thought I would freak them out as their pastor, you know, because, I mean, what does a pastor bring to a white elephant party, right? I mean, does he bring like a Bible that has no words or, you know, hey, guys, you know, I brought a toilet golf set. All right. I mean, they were looking at me like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, man, I brought it. <laughs> and the truth is, you know, it doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter what you've been invited to. We're all bringing something. So the question we have to ask this morning is this. What are you bringing this year? What is it that you're bringing to Christmas? What is it? So, you know, for some of us, when we think about what we're going to bring, we spend a lot of time thinking about the right gift, Right. Now, how many of you would be so honest at both of our campuses and announce publicly that you have somebody in your life you just can't buy for? Raise your hand, okay? All right, they're sitting beside you, right? And uh, it's an admittance. But the, the truth is, is we all have people in our life, there are gifts. We just can't, it's like, what do I buy that person? I mean, do I get them like a new left kidney? You know, would that be nice for Christmas? And, 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 and what you end up doing many times is when you don't know what to buy them, you do what a lot of the world does. You stop by the cash register and you pick up a what? A gift card. Amen. Amen. Hey, I want to personally thank the person who created the Christmas gift card and the net lights. You don't know what the net lights are, right? For all of us men who have to decorate the outside of our houses. Yeah. They used to have string lights, but now they got net lights. I want to kiss that guy, man. I just want to hug you. And I want to tell you, thank you for saving me so much trouble in my life. But the truth is, is we think about the right gift all the time. We think about the type of gift we're going to bring. 
And if you've ever been invited to a party, because we know we're in the South, you would never think about showing up to a party without asking somebody, hey, listen, what can we bring? Right? You wouldn't just show up at a party. I mean, it's, we're in the South. I mean, you would get a double bless your heart if you showed up at a party without asking someone, hey, what can I bring? And then they tell us what they want us to bring, and they typically say, to them, oh, just bring ice. Ice? No, man, I want to bring a cake. I want to bring something significant or something of sustenance. But the truth is, we all in our life have things that we bring and gifts that we bring and things that we bring. And we don't even realize it many times. But the question we ask, what are we bringing this Christmas, is a much, much broader question. So if you have a pen, I want you to write a few things down. Hopefully they'll be on the screen here. First of all, I want to talk about what God brought. What God brought. Now, I I love going back in the story, the Christmas story, Matthew chapter 1, which we're going to be in chapter 2 today. But in Matthew 1, it's known as the the genealogy of Jesus. And so when you read that, that's kind of like something fun to do, like on Christmas afternoon when you're bored and there's nothing fun to do. Get out Matthew chapter 1 and try to read the names found there, okay? It's a little challenging. But when I look at what God brought to Christmas... I go back and I look at Matthew chapter 1, and I realize that God literally brought the promise of generations to Christmas. You go back and read Matthew 1, he brought 42 generations together to bring us the birth of Christ. 42 generations. I mean, think about everyone who begat who, who begat who, who begat who. What God brought to the table for, Christ, for us to have Christmas is amazing. I think, of a, I think of a girl named Mary who literally at the point in her life when she was thinking about, you know, saying yes to the dress, an angel appeared to her and said, you're going to have a baby. And the favor that was on her life, and I, I think, man, God brought that. I think about Joseph. We read in, in the story in Matthew that when Joseph found out that the girl that he was pledged to be married to was already pregnant, he goes, there goes the honeymoon. It's over. I mean, he probably thought, what did I do, God? And yet God worked all of that out because we know that, that even an angel appeared to him and said, Joseph, it's okay, man. God brought it all together. And Joseph even came to a point where he said, I'm good with it. God, if this is your plan, then I'm good with it. I think about all of the prophecies that were fulfilled throughout all the generations. You see, here's what I know when I think about all that God brought to Christmas. God brought the house. He didn't leave any stone unturned. He didn't come to us and say, well, I could have worked this out, but I couldn't quite figure out how to have this happen. I mean, 42 generations, a girl named Mary, a guy named Joseph, all of this stuff happening, all of these promises, God brought it. And he brought it big time. I mean, he didn't show up with a gift card. (laughs) He showed up with everything. So God brought it. He didn't hold anything back. Think about it this way. The Bible tells us that he literally took all of his deity and he wrapped it in humanity. Can you contain that with me today? I mean, if you're at Grange Campus, can can you figure that out with me today? How God could take all of who he is... And put it in humanity. Blows my mind. 
So God brought it. But you know, you think about what God brought, it also brings us to the point of thinking about what others brought. You ever thought about what others brought to Christmas? I mean, I look around the whole passage here in in Matthew chapter 2, and I begin to see that there's kind of certain people in the scriptures that brought different things to the scene of Jesus coming to the earth. The first is this, the shepherds, okay? Now, the shepherds were a very peculiar bunch. In fact, in Luke chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, look what the Bible says about them. And there were shepherds living in their fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So, if you have some pens, I want you to write this down about the shepherds, okay? They were very, very plain people. They lived out in a field, They took care of sheep. Okay, I'm just going to say it. They were rednecks. They were rednecks. They would have been the folks out in the field that never had the opportunity to come to the temple and worship because they were never clean. They were never at a place positionally, ceremonially, where they would have ever been allowed within the door. They were so redneck that the Bible tells us in that passage of Scripture that when the angel of the Lord appeared to them, they were terrified. Now, there's one scene that I have in my mind that I just can't get out, okay? And that is the the thought of a redneck being terrified. Okay? Now, I've seen some of you terrified. I'm not saying you're redneck. But I am saying, can you imagine with me these guys as plain and as ordinary and as unclean and as different as they were? They're out in the field and an angel appears to them and they freak out. You see, isn't it crazy that the first people to see Jesus were the most religiously awkward and unclean people? You ever find that to be striking? I mean, it wasn't the established religious crowd who saw Jesus first. It wasn't like they called the local seminary and said, hey, get your best A students over here because baby Jesus is going to come and we want the scholars to see him first. He showed up to a bunch of shepherds, which gives me hope today. (laughs) You say, Sean, are you calling yourself a redneck? I sure am. Spiritually, I've been there, man. I look at my life sometimes and say, why in the world would God come to me and give his love to me and and change my life and give me salvation and give me hope? It's the sheer fact that God doesn't always come to the religious, pompous crowd. He comes to the unclean, to the people who look at him and say, I have nothing to bring to you, but you've brought everything to me. So I look at the shepherds and I go, wow, there's hope for us. So look at verse 15. Look what the Bible says here. I love this. Luke 2. Because we're kind of jumping back a little bit. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. I love their response. Their response is, typical redneck, right? Hey, we got to go say this. I mean, I could see it, okay? And then we get to this point. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Oh, I love that part because here's what I want you to understand today. I want you to understand what they brought. 
Here's what they brought. They brought themselves and they brought others. The Bible says when they saw that Jesus was there and they knew that Jesus was there, instead of running away from God saying, we're unclean, we don't fit here, we're not, God, God's not going to accept us, God's not going to, no, no, they ran to Jesus and then after they saw Jesus, what did they do? They left that place and they told everybody about him. You know, right? Go tell it on the mountain. Okay, that was the moment. They left there and they brought themselves and they brought others. That's what they brought. You know, I look at another person in the story and there's a guy by the name of King Herod that we see in the story. And back in Matthew chapter two, the Bible tells us in verse one and two, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. Now I'm gonna talk about the Magi and the three wise men in just a minute, but I wanna talk about Herod real quick. You see, Herod had a real issue here. He had a real crisis of identity in his life because he brought something different than what the shepherds brought. The shepherds brought themselves and they brought others. But Herod had been appointed king of the state. So when you look at this region, he was like the locally elected official. Like the polls and the title said, hey, Herod, you're king. But something happened. What happened? Three guys show up from the east, and they say, hey, listen, we're looking for the king, <laughs> and you're not him. <laughs> you see the problem there? I mean, can you see the identity crisis forming in Herod's life? He begins to say, okay, wait a minute. I thought I was king here. My title says I'm king. I have all this stuff. And, and so what does Herod do? The Bible tells us that he goes and he finds the local religious leaders, the scholars of the day, and says, hey guys, there's these wise men who have found this star and they're looking for this baby Jesus and they're claiming that he's the king of the Jews. You see, here's the problem. Herod wanted to be king of the Jews. And so what does he do? He calls the religious leaders together. We'll talk about them in just a minute, but Herod realizes for the first time that what he had to bring was totally different. Because here's what he brought. He brought self-reliance and opposition. You see, I, I know that this Christmas, there's a lot of people when it comes to what they're going to bring to Jesus, they would never admit that they're like Herod. But in a sense, many times we are. Because instead of bringing our all, instead of bringing our best, instead of bringing him our honor and our worship and our praise, we bring to him our self-reliance and our opposition. And that's exactly what Herod did. He looked at the scenario and he said, this doesn't benefit me. This isn't going to end good for me. This isn't going to be right for me. So then the Bible tells us that there was another group. They were the religious leaders. The religious leaders, here's what they brought. They brought all the knowledge of what was going down. But the Bible says in Matthew 2 that they never left where they were to go find Jesus. You find that odd? I do. So get this, okay? They're the religious crowd. 
You hear that these men have come looking for this baby that's been born who's king of the Jews. King Herod comes to you and says, hey guys, do you all know anything about this? And they say, yeah, we've got this whole prophecy that told us this was going to happen. And he begins to, to spell out that prophecy to them. But here's what's crazy to me. They had no desire to go find Jesus. No desire. They wouldn't leave where they were. Maybe they were so religiously comfortable that they just said, hey, I'm just here to do my job, man. I'm just here to check the box spiritually. But when they found out that Jesus was here, they had no desire to find him. They had all the right answers, but they had the total wrong heart. I want to make a statement to you today. Write this down if you have a pen. If studying God's word does not cause you to seek Jesus more and others more, you are missing it. Doesn't matter how religious you are, how much you think you know. Listen, the world's not impressed by our Bible knowledge. They're impressed when they see us seeking after Jesus. So here's what they brought. They brought a religious reluctance. Because when the religious leaders showed up on the scene, they were hesitant. They weren't willing to go find Jesus. I want to say this to all of us at both of our campuses today. Many of you have had one of those years that you're just like, you know what? If God is real, why would he let all this happen in my life? What? How, how come I didn't win the lottery this year, God? Hey, God, I was wondering, why did my car break down on the second Tuesday of last month, okay? I mean, we bring all of our stuff to God many times, and, and we have a knowledge of who he is, but what happens is we begin to put all of that in front of really pursuing Jesus. They brought their religious reluctance. Man, I'm just reluctant to trust God. I'm just reluctant to seek after him. Think about it. That's a horrible gift to bring to a party. (laughs) But you know what? That's what the religious leaders brought. But then there was a different group. We see them in Matthew chapter 2. They're known as the Magi. They're known as the three wise men. I want you to look at the three wise men real quick because... What they brought was something very, very different. The Bible tells us a little about these men. We don't know a whole lot, but you can study the history. In fact, we don't even know if there were three wise men. I know that blows up some of your tradition, okay? Like, I've only got three wise men in the yard, okay? But there may have been seven. You may need to go get four more, okay? (laughs) Here's why they believe there were three wise men, because there were only three gifts. Some of you go, oh, I'll get it now. Okay, that's good. Good. Okay. You're a shepherd. Okay. I'm a shepherd. I've been there. Okay. The wise men, they were scientists. They were intellectuals. They were from the East. They were people who studied the stars. I think it's so funny that Jesus not only revealed himself to shepherds, the most common of people, but he also revealed himself to the smartest of people. Listen, don't buy the lie in our world that you have to, because of science, devoid the existence of God. That is a lie. That's why we say wise men still seek him, right? Because these guys were smart, okay? These guys are the reason that you made a C in your physics class. They totally destroyed the bell curve. And I want to say this to some of you today. If you're here today at both of our campuses and you're like, you know what? I believe there's a God, but I don't believe 
that he's really in charge. Listen, these men here had all of the scientific background in their life that they could have. And yet when they came to find Jesus, they came at it from a different angle. So, you know, many times I, I, look, at, I look at these guys and I think, you know what? These guys were so smart, it would have been real easy for them to say, we don't need God. We don't need Jesus. But the Bible says that's not what they did. In fact, I look at them many times, and I, I'm just going to say it, man. They were the geek squad. They showed up on the scene. There was, a, there was a situation going down, and they knew how to fix it. And they go to Bethlehem, and they don't ask King Herod for his autograph. All they ask him is, King Herod, where's the king of the Jews? So they begin to seek him out. And I want you to look at verse 9 of Matthew 2. After they had heard the king, because the king pretty much said, Hey, listen, you go find him and you tell me where he's at because I'm going to kill him. That's not what he told him, but that's what he was going to do. They went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, I take mental pictures in my mind, okay? Like, just like the rednecks sitting in the, the fields over their flocks by night going, hey, let's go see that, okay? I vision this, a bunch of geeks sitting around, <laughs> and the Bible uses this word right here, overjoyed. Okay, that's just funny to me. Some of you, you need to laugh a little bit more in life. I mean, that's a bazing moment, okay? I mean, overjoyed. They saw it. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. It wasn't that they were hesitant. They were, there was something welling up in them that said, we know we're about to see it. And I find it ironic because I think every word in the word of God is so true that when God put that scripture and he put that word there, he wanted you and I to understand it. They were overjoyed. Wow. In a season where a lot of people bring to the party a lot of underjoyment. We're underjoyed. We're underwhelmed, right? How many of you have this amazing picture of what Christmas is going to be like at your house? Raise your hand, right? The kids are going to get up. We're going to eat breakfast together. It's going to be amazing. We're all, we'll all wear our footy pajamas. Okay, listen, I will not be posting any selfies of me in footy pajamas. All right? But I will tell you this. We have this picture of the way Christmas is going to be. But the reality of the way we think it's going to be and the way it's going to go down is going to be much different. When they came to the place of finding Jesus, they didn't let all their expectations ruin it. The Bible says they were just overjoyed. Because why? They had found Jesus. So these guys, they're overjoyed. And look at verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You see, here's what they brought. Worship and surrender. They brought their worship, and they brought their surrender. The Bible says that they brought gifts. If you know anything about the study of those gifts, and I won't go into it, Frankincense and myrrh were very, very expensive. They didn't bring their seconds. They brought their best. So how does this relate to you and I? Because I think when I look at Christmas, here's the question I want to bring us back to today. What are you bringing 
Remember where we started today? What are you bringing to Christmas this year? I'm not talking about a covered dish. I'm not talking about a gift that you found at the counter at the local Walmart. I'm talking about you. What are you bringing? We saw what the others brought. We saw different people bring different things. Their religious reluctance. Their opposition and self-reliance. Their worship and their surrender. But the real question today is this. What are you bringing to Christmas this year? So I want to give you some thoughts real quick. First of all, what we give to Jesus is a reflection of our heart, not our wealth. If you have a pen, write that down. I want you to remember that statement. What we give to Jesus is a reflection of our heart, not our wealth. Now, here's the struggle we have with that sometimes. We many times take what we have to to give to Jesus and we compare it to what everyone else has to give to Jesus. And that's not what it's about. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus said this. He says, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moths or vermin destroy, where the thieves break in and steal, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in. And then this is a profound word. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I want to back it up for you today. I want to reiterate that last phrase for you. Where your treasure is not, your heart is not. Oh my gosh, Sean. Are you going to talk to us about giving again? No, listen. When Jesus has your heart, nobody has to talk to you about giving. I want to make a profound statement. Deeply theological for us today, okay? Are you ready? I mean, this could be mind-blowing for all of us. Walmart, Target, Kohl's, Starbucks... They want your money. Jesus wants your heart. Did you hear that? Some of you go, really? I thought the profoundness of Walmart was to bring me purpose and significance in my life. Listen, the other day, Tracy said, Sean, please just take me to Walmart for like five minutes. And let's go in and get some stuff. And I told her, I said, honey, listen, I've been praying all day that they would have those items at Publix. And so I prophesied that they would have at least one of the product we needed at Publix. We walked in, they had 19. God is good! All the time! Woo! Okay? Listen, some of you are like, he is weird. Yes, I am. I've been this way since I was 17. What we give to Jesus is a reflection of our heart and not our wealth. Because some of us get so hung up on the motive behind giving that we look at Walmart, we, I'm not picking on the stores. Guys, listen, they're there to make a profit. Jesus isn't here to make a profit off of you. Jesus is here to bring you hope and change and life change and purpose and meaning in your life. So you need to get your eyes off the idea that I give to Jesus out of my wealth. No, you give to Jesus out of your heart. And when your heart is there, your treasure will be there. So look at where your treasure is. Look at what you've put your hope into. Because the difference is this. Jesus wants to change your heart. Another thing I want you to do today is this. Until we learn to give to Jesus what we have, we will always struggle to give him what we get. 
I mean, I think about what we bring to Christmas many times in our lives and our hearts and our affections and everything else. And until we learn to give to Jesus what we already have, we will always struggle to give him what we get. There's a story that we read in the scriptures. Jesus told this story. It's known as the story of the widow's might. If you've never read it, it's a really cool story. It's found in the Gospel of Mark. But basically, it was at the time that everyone would come into the temple and they would bring their things. And so the Pharisees were really big about making sure that everyone knew what they gave. And so they would walk in and, you know, they would pull out their credit card and (laughs) swipe it. No, they would walk in and they would lay their coin bags and, man, they would say like, hey, man, you know, I mean, it would be like this. It would be like you having $10,000 and you go to the bank and say, I'd like $10,000 in pennies. And so you bunch it all up so it looks like more, and you show up and say, yeah, I'd like to pay for this, okay? That's what the Pharisees were doing. Because they thought the world would find them more significant if they thought they were more wealthy. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 12, verse 43, calling his disciples to him, because there was a a lady that showed up, and this is what she did. Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. There's that word again. Have you noticed treasure, treasury? We're going to talk about that in just a second. Then all the others, then all gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty, put in everything all she had to live on. She walks by and she lays down the one thing she has. Not how much. Listen, giving to Jesus is not how much you have to give. Can you imagine going to your spouse and saying, I wanted to buy you a gift, but when I realized it was $10 more, I decided not to buy it for you. Your spouse would go, you're crazy. We don't sit around and calculate the gifts we give to the people we love. You know what we do? We say, it, it wouldn't matter how much it costs. I love you so much, I give you my everything. I give you my everything. You see, we struggle because we think it's about the amount. It's not. We size it up. We compare it. And we do the same with our time, our talent, and our treasure. God, I, don't, I can't really serve you because I'm not really good at leading a life group. Do you have a pulse? Are you alive? The first qualification to lead a life group is you have to be alive. If you're breathing, you have life to share. And if you have life to share, you have the opportunity to impact someone else's life, whether you know how to teach the Bible or not. Because at the end of the day, it's not about how scholarly you are. It's about taking what God has given you and giving it back to him. It's not about, it's not about what you have. Because you'll never get it until you give him what you have. Quit trying to make it about the amount. That's not what it's about. So I'm going to give you this thought. I want to close here. Don't hesitate. Just bring it. You know, as I was preparing this message, there was one thought that I really felt like God really began to illuminate to me. It's the moment in Matthew 2, verse 11, when the three wise men found out where Jesus was and they came to him And look what the scripture says. Then they opened their treasure and presented him with gifts. 
You ever seen that in the scripture before? I mean, you've read it. I mean, you're like me, like you read a lot. So you read a lot of things and maybe you read ahead or read too fast. But have you stopped long enough to think about that? Jesus doesn't want us to hesitate to give him everything. He just wants us to bring it to him. You see, you're going to bring something to Christmas this year. The question is, what will you bring? They opened their treasure. They opened their treasure. I want to ask you a question as we close today. How different would our lives be if we brought Jesus our first and our best? Oh, let me give you another question. How differently would the world see Christmas if we gave him our first and our best and not our second and our last? It's kind of like this. When you show up at Christmas Day, you walk into the the kitchen at that loved one's house that you loved, you would be so offended if they walked up and they opened the refrigerator and they got these little Tupperware deals out of the refrigerator and began to open Tupperware and pour leftovers onto the plate. I mean, that would bless someone's cotton-picking heart, right? The truth is, when it comes to Christmas, when it comes to life, Many times that's what we do. We bring to Jesus our second and our last instead of our first and our best. I want to ask you today, what are you bringing this year to Christmas? You say, well, I don't have much to give. You have yourself. Jesus wants your heart. Would you bow with me as we close today? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. You know, the good news in all this is That God brought everything so that you and I could have a Christmas. I mean, it's really not about the lights. And I mean, it's great. I love all the traditions. It's awesome. But let me tell you what I get more excited and more jacked up about, about Christmas more than anything else. The fact that God brought his son into a world so that you and I could have forgiveness so that you and I could have salvation, so that you and I could have a hope, so that you and I have a future, so that you and I have a purpose. And listen, I recognize at both of our campuses today that some of you came because someone brought you here today and you're like, man, th- this, is, this is unlike any other Christmas I've heard because no one's ever challenged me about what I'm bringing. Here's what I want to ask you to bring today. Bring your life. And give it to Jesus. Bring it. What are you waiting on? Are you waiting for a sale? Are you waiting for someone to tell you that you're not good enough? The shepherds weren't good enough. Are you waiting for someone to tell you that you got to know more? Listen, the, the, the religious leaders knew everything. Just bring it. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here this morning at both of our campuses and you've never truly given your heart to Jesus today, I want to ask you to bring him your life and give him your life. Would you pray this prayer with me silently? Just say, dear Jesus, thank you for bringing me your life. 
today, I invite you to come into my heart to forgive my sins, Jesus, and to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. I place all my faith and all my trust in you. Jesus, I give you my life today. Save me. Forgive me. Change me. With every head bowed and every eye closed at all of our campuses today, I want to ask you today, if you made that decision and today you gave Christ your life, would you just hold up your hand? Just hold it up. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm just going to say, if you made that decision today, I want to know. I want to know that today you received the greatest gift you'll ever receive, the gift of forgiveness and hope and salvation. If that's you today, would you hold up your hand? Believer, I want to ask you today, what are you bringing this year? Well, Sean, are you talking about how, no, no, I'm not talking about how much. That's the wrong question. I'm just asking you what you're bringing this year. Have you wrapped it yet? Have you set it aside and said, this is what I want to give to Jesus? It's his. It's my future. It's my job. It's my kids. It's my relationships. It's my life. What are you giving to Jesus this year? Are you willing to take it and lay at his feet? As the wise men did when they opened up their treasures. Every one of us in this room, we have a treasure to give to Jesus. The greatest treasure he wants is you. Lord Jesus, I thank you today for the opportunity we have to stand in this place and just, God, not only be encouraged by the word of God, but Lord, to be challenged. Lord, there's so much in our world that we give away. We give away our hope. We give away our future. We give away our affections. But God, you've called us to give away ourselves to you. Lord, you want us today. All of this is a reflection on us being reminded that every day, Lord, we get to open up our treasures and we get to bring you something. We get to bring it. We get to bring it. Lord, I love you today. I thank you so much for what you're doing in your body and in the family of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.